In his new book, Forward Notes on the Future of Democracy, 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang argues that America's current economic and political systems are outdated and offers suggestions on how to transform both to address 21st century challenges. And again, I'm not after three parties. I think there should be five parties or seven parties. And if we had that, then you'd have shifting coalitions, just like our founding fathers envisioned. He's interviewed by California Representative Eric Swalwell, a Democrat. More after this. Andrew Yang, former presidential candidate, uh, former best-selling author, new book, Forward. Uh, Andrew, I had so much fun uh, on the campaign trail uh, with you. You were always someone who I thought was having the most amount of fun, and that reflected as you kept going up and up in the polls and were making debate stage after debate stage. Uh, and here you are now, uh, post-presidential, uh, post-New York City mayor's race uh, with a new book. And I, I thought the book really reflected what I and other candidates saw from you on the trail, which was someone you know who was having fun and shaking things up. And so, uh, Andrew, in the spirit of shaking things up, in the last a uh, couple weeks, uh, you have, uh, you know, been on a book tour, and recently uh, you're promoting the book on the show of Tucker Carlson, and, and you felt some blowback from some of the people who supported you uh, during the campaign. And I guess my first question to kick it off: Would you go back on Tucker's show? One of the the things that also happened, uh, Eric, and first, it's great to see you. Great to be here. Uh, for those of you watching, me and Eric hung out on the trail in Iowa in particular, because Eric had roots there. Um, but you know that that's what happens when you're a presidential candidate. You hang out with other presidential candidates, um, build relationships. And one of the things that I, I think Eric and I both felt out on the trail was that when you go to talk to people who where they are, uh, they're not as divided as our media environment might suggest. And, and I think C-SPAN is actually a perfect emblem of this, because C-SPAN is where people come together of different political alignments. And then when you get into the Fox universe and the MSNBC universe, it's like you're in, in separate worlds. Uh, so my going on different shows, Eric, is an attempt to try and bring uh, people together and bring the, the world um, that people see on C-SPAN to folks where they are. Um, and I know you and I shared that effort when we were out there with the people of Iowa and elsewhere. You know, what struck me, I guess, so would you go back on Tucker's show, Andrew? Well, I've gotten a number of uh, messages from supporters saying that their parents for the first time are, <laughs> open, you know, are, are open to me because they saw they, they one of them didn't even see me actually on Tucker's show. They just saw an ad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and that alone made me like a, a figure of interest. And I, I think that we're going to have to make moves like that if we're genuinely going to bring people of different um, alignments together. But what struck me in the book was that uh, on a number of uh, different decisions, you kind of lay out your thinking and you would do pro versus con analysis. Uh, I, I noticed as you pitched term limits, you kind of gave the readers an assessment of the pros of term limits, the cons of term limits. So when, when you were pitched you know, to go on the show, um, were, was there anyone in your universe, you know, staff or family that was saying not to go on the show? And, and if so, what was their biggest concern? Well, Eric, I genuinely think, and I think you share this frustration, is that talking about the choices that someone like me makes vis-a-vis the media is exactly why our country is sinking into the dirt, really. You know, I mean, what are the real problems we see? We're getting more and more polarized. 
families can't get together for the holidays. Like, like no one feels like there's a way out. And then we, we get caught up in this like media back and forth and, and it, it's a, it's, you know, it's not helping anyone. So I, I just like to, you know, focus on the things that I think that people watching at home, uh, you know, want to make progress on. And so Andrew, you, in, in the title of the book is forward. And, and that is also the name uh, of the party that you have launched uh, in the last uh, few weeks. Why did you leave the Democratic Party? Oh, man. And Eric, you and I, I mean, you, you know, I, I consider you a friend. Um, I think you and I are like minded about a lot of things. We like spoke to a bunch of young Democrat groups together and everything else. Uh, I love the Democratic Party because I think I can do more good launching the Ford Party, which is a popular movement to help bring the country together by making it so that our legislators answer to the reasonable among us and not the extremes on either side. Um, and I'm someone who is a Democrat for 26 years, um, but I'm someone who just wants to help the country, you know, and, and I, if I thought I could do more good this direction, which I did, then, you know, it, it felt like the right thing to do. Obviously, I have many friends who are staunch Democrats, yourself among them. Um, and hopefully this can be an emblem of the fact that being an American uh, is bigger than um, which party you belong to. And, and as I looked at the forward party, you know, agenda or ideas that you laid out in the book. Uh, you know, it ranges from ranked choice voting to having term limits, you know, to promoting, uh, you know, capitalism. Uh, but would you say that the party is process focused and that you're seeking to shake up the political process? Or is it going to be policy focused like you ran your campaign on, you know, universal basic income and, and other, you know, ideas related to lifting up families? It's so interesting you ask this, Eric, because at this point, the process and the policy are intertwined, where if you're watching this at home, you are probably one of the 83% of Americans who lives in a district that's either safely Democratic uh, or safely Republican. And so the legislators in your district answer not to 51% of the people who live in the district, but really the 10 to 20% on either side. So if you change the process, you're, you're actually going to change the policy, which is uh, what I'm driven by. I also want to suggest that at this point, independents outnumber Democrats or Republicans in any place in the country. And independents are often on the outside looking in. Uh, the duopoly is very, very poorly designed. Uh, it's leading us to greater and greater divisiveness and inflammation. And it's going to result eventually in political violence, which we're already seeing. So if you change the process, you're actually going to change the outcome very, very fundamentally. Um, and so the, the two are very, very much linked together. We have to make our processes better and our incentives better if we're ever going to make progress on a lot of the things that you and I care about. Now, Andrew, you wrote this book uh, during your race for mayor, uh, the summer of 2021. Uh, and then after the race, uh, you lost in the primary, but... The book came well, out shortly. I do want to stop there, Eric. I, I wrote this book last year before I ran for mayor. Um, you know, it, it's physically impossible to write a book. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. I, and Andrew, um, you know, in, in the book, you, you talk about, obviously, you know, the ideas behind the forward party, because um, I think the last chapter in the book is the forward party. And then, yes, you're right. You said that I wrote this book while I was deciding to run for mayor. Um, did you envision starting the forward party 
as you were the Democratic candidate for mayor, or did you make that decision after the primary? Oh, that's a great question, Eric. So I wrote this book after the presidential campaign and concluded that divisiveness and polarization were going to destroy us and that we needed a third way. We needed better mechanics, better incentives, uh, more reasonableness, and we needed to reward leaders who were uh, more, uh, more reasonable, really. Um, and so I, I drew this conclusion at the end of last year and said, okay, like, we need to do this. And because of the way I'm wired, it's like, well, you know, saying we should do this without doing it yourself seems pretty lame. Um, and then decided to run for mayor because I thought I could do a lot of good for New York City where I live. Um, and my plan A was I become the mayor of New York City and then I launched the Ford Party as mayor of New York City uh, and say, look, check it out, a new way, a new way forward. And uh, we're going to make things happen as like an illustration here in New York City. Uh, so that was plan A. And then uh, I did not win. <laughs> so now we're in the other plan, uh, plan 2A, uh, where I'm building the forward party as an independent. And, and so, Andrew, I, I asked yesterday on my Twitter account, you know, if my readers or followers had uh, questions for you. And th- there were a lot of, you know, a lot of feedback, and a lot of questions. But I, I would say the to rank choice vote uh, this, uh, the number one question was just concerns that, you know, a criticism that you had run as a Democrat and perhaps had planned to leave the party but didn't tell anyone that. So what would you say to, to that criticism? And, and do you understand why some of the people that supported you would have been, you know, concerned that you were representing that you were a Democrat while you knew that you would perhaps be leaving the party? Well, I was straightforward about my policy stance. I think we had 77 pages of of policy proposals. Uh, And so to me, that should be why you vote for someone and why you're excited about them or not, rather than what letter they decide to put next to their name. So as long as I was straightforward about my vision for the city, um, I genuinely like don't think people would be, uh, you know, like very upset as long as I delivered on those things. And and Andrew, I I know in, in the book, you direct people in the afterward as to where they can go to join the forward party. Um, I'll give you a chance again to promote that. Um, but are you seeing people sign up and are you seeing a transference of the people that supported you in the 2020 presidential campaign and then the New York mayor's race? Are they moving over uh, now as, as you start to promote this across the country? Well, thank you. It is forwardparty.com. If you think that our politics right now are rewarding the, the extremes, please join us and we can become uh, the unifying voice in the middle. Um, One of the most interesting data points from the presidential race for me, Eric, was that 42% of the people that were supporting me as a Democrat um, were not sure they were going to support the Democratic nominee. And I'm so proud of the fact that I activated a lot of people that weren't traditionally into politics, a lot of independents, uh, some Republicans. And so the people that are excited about the forward party party run the gamut, Uh, you know, and it is a, a lot of the same people that supported me in the past. Uh, and that makes me re- really proud. You know, like I, I hope uh, this approach bears fruit and that people see that we do need more than uh, two polls. Um, in my mind, we should have more than three parties. If you look around the world, the UK has five parties. Uh, Sweden has eight parties. Uh, you know, that like this to me is just a more resilient, sustainable, vibrant system. And Andrew... Will this be a 50-state party, or are you going to focus on uh, particular states where you think the reforms are needed the most? 
Our first goal is to uh, implement open primaries around the country. And it's easier in some states than others. Uh, so states that have ballot initiatives where we can ask the people to say, would you like an open primary? And, and right now, if you're watching this, again, there's a very, very significant chance that you're either in a minority party in a place where your vote really is excluded or you're independent and you might register with a party just to be able to participate. It shouldn't be that way, should it? I mean, there's nothing in the there's nothing in the Constitution about political parties, uh, and we can see the duopoly is not going so well. So we're going to go, Eric, to the states where we can have the biggest impact the soonest, and that does include places where a lot of people sign up uh, at FordParty.com. Andrew, do you guys plan to endorse in the 2022 midterms? Oh yeah, we're we're excited to get to work in the 2022 midterms, uh, and we'll we'll be endorsing people who are running as Democrats in Democratic primaries, as Republicans in Republican primaries, as independents. Uh, there, there's one candidate, Evan McMullen, uh, who's running as an independent in Utah for the Senate that we're excited about already. Um, so we're going to be doing everything we can to have an impact in, in this 2022 cycle. So there would be races where you would endorse the Democratic candidate. As a, who's yeah, running as a Democrat. 100%. I mean, we have principles uh, on the Ford Party website that if there's a Democrat who is for uh, open primaries and fact-based governance and grace and tolerance, which I think is something America really badly needs right now, just knowing that, you know, you're not our enemy. No, no American should be our enemy, regardless of your political beliefs. If there are Democrats or Republicans or independents who subscribe uh, to these things, then, then we'd love to support them. And are you worried that you could perhaps endorse in a congressional race where you have kind of a pro-insurrectionist Republican, a Democrat running, and then an independent that you endorse? And we saw in 2020 that these races were decided by just a few thousand votes either way, that you could actually have the reverse effect of seeing the pro-insurrectionist Republican win. Eric, this is one reason why we need to have a process change as quickly as possible. Uh, and so what you're describing is the spoiler effect, which is if you come in as an independent entrant, then you're going to mess things up for one party or the other. And this has been used as a bludgeon on any third party, regardless of, of libertarian, green, like whoever it is, it's like you're going to mess things up for someone. And so if that's your perspective, then you should just look up and say, why don't we adopt a more modern voting process like ranked choice voting? And then you can rank whoever you want first, whoever you want second, uh, and your preferences then get expressed. And there's no more spoiler effect. And so Andrew, I think, yeah, I think that's a great point. Spoiler, Andrew. Right? Let's get there. That, Sorry? That's a great point. Uh, and so do you think it would be more constructive to first put in place ranked choice voting before you're putting in place endorsements in races where you don't have ranked choice voting where you could see the baby thrown out with the bathwater? Well, again, number one, Eric, in a lot of these cases, we might be endorsing in a primary. Um, but we are agitating for ranked choice voting. And I, I think that um, there is a need to get it in place as quickly as possible. It, it's number one on our list. You know, Andrew, I worked, uh, you probably don't know this, but I worked for the Center for uh, Voting and Democracy, which is now called Fair Vote, uh, when I was in college. And I advocated... And, Good for you! I, I just the board of fair votes action uh, uh network so, great yeah great, great. It's, a, it's a great organization they came out of the bush v gore uh race where you know nader was you know accused of being the spoiler and they argued that if you had ranked choice voting al gore would be president and i worked to implement that at my college the university of maryland uh, and many other colleges uh for their student body elections 
But we saw in New York with the ranked choice voting uh, that it took uh, a long time for the winner to be clear. So how can we make sure that you have a voting system like ranked choice voting that is more democratic, but not that it takes so long that people look at the system and blame the system for the delay? Check it out. I lost that race and I'm still here strongly advocating ranked choice voting. So you know it must be good if a guy who you know didn't win with it is <laughs> super into it. But 95% of New Yorkers found ranked choice voting easy to use and 77% want to do it again, which is near unanimity. Uh, you're right, Eric, that the New York City Board of Elections is not exactly known for its, uh, you know, like stellar uh, punctuality and other things. <laughs> but the process uh, is extraordinarily powerful and popular. Uh, and, you know, the, the fact that a bureaucracy, uh, you know, wasn't as on the ball as it should be, we should just make sure that that's better for the next time. So last question on the forward party. Um, No third party has really survived in the United States for well over 100 years. So uh, if forward party survives, why will that be the case? And if it doesn't survive, why will that be the case? If the forward party thrives, it's going to be because millions of Americans stand up and say, wait a minute, even if I like one party more than the other, this duopoly dynamic is literally tearing our country apart. Political stress is at record levels. We are inching towards violence and ruin. And a lot of people watching this can feel that. And so if the forward party thrives, it's because enough of us stood up and said, we have to actually make this democracy more genuinely capital D democratic, allow different points of view to emerge, have open primaries. And again, I'm not after three parties. I think there should be five parties or seven parties. And if we had that, then you'd have shifting coalitions just like our founding fathers envisioned. Our founding fathers, if they woke up today, they would be shocked and horrified by the fact that we have these uh, these two parties that are just going to clash, clash, clash uh, until uh, we're, we're all uh, in a country that we're not going to be able to recognize and we're not going to be excited to pass on to our kids. If the forward party dies, it's going to be because the dynamics did not change. And, and that even though... of Americans now want a third party and think that both parties are out of touch, that the duopoly managed to keep the mechanics the same to suppress the will of the American people to our to our collective detriment, really, to our collective ruin eventually. Andrew, should Americans be able to vote online? Eventually, we should be able to to vote online. I mean, we manage a lot of our other affairs online. Uh, Is the technology ready for prime time um, at that scale? No, it's not. Um, If we were to run pilots, would we want to have redundancy, including paper? Yes, we would. Um, But we should try and make it a little bit easier to vote, shouldn't we? Uh, Because, no, it's 2021. And if we made it easier, I think you'd see more people voting. I agree. Uh, And, you know, I I take a lot of blowback uh, for this. And my position is that's why you and i get along eric (laughs) we're the same generation we're like pushing things along and one thing i do want to point out and i know a lot of c-span actually i don't know what the demographics are of c-span viewers but uh, i think it's a problem that our leadership in this country uh is um has been at it for 20 30 35 years uh and they don't understand technology the way they should you know I, i think that we should have term limits in this country um, for this reason, three quarters of Americans agree with that. Uh, you know, I bet Eric, you know, he's a cool member of Congress. He probably agrees with it. <laughs> well, I, actually, I, I, I think as someone who ran against a 40 year incumbent, uh, 
it was actually the open primary in California uh, in the, the top two system and independent redistricting. I, I saw good government as the actual term limit because it gave a guy like me a shot to win. And I, I think getting rid of dirty money and dirty maps, you know, that can also be the quote unquote term limit. But on online voting, uh, Andrew, um, it's actually being done right now. You know, West Virginia has done uh, online voting. Utah has as well. And I'm, I'm with you in that if we, we should at least try. And if we fail, fine. But to not try on a mass scale, I think, uh, you know, really is, is failing disenfranchised voters who would have more access. I want to go back to the 2020 election. We're, we're doing it for U.S. military personnel right, right now who are in their, in their district. They're voting online. You know, it's working. They are. Uh, so, Andrew, you and I first met on the 2020 trail. Um, neither of us emerged. You went a lot farther than I did. Uh, but how would you rate the job that President Joe Biden is doing so far uh, here about 10 months in? One of the things uh, I, I believe is happening, Eric, uh, is that our political figures are, uh, at this point, both taking credit for and taking blame for things that may or may not be under their control. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're asking about like how, how Joe's administration is doing. Uh, I think it's very easy for us to look at it and make a judgment, uh, you know, like uh, positively or negatively. But uh, like a, a lot of it to me is that we, we are passing along to our leaders uh, some bureaucracies and organizations that aren't able to deliver at a high level. Um, we have a culture now that is polarizing us and making it so that um, personal attacks are much more popular um, than reason and giving someone the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I, I think Joe and his team uh, are uh, dealing with a very, very tough situation. Let's put it that way. So Joe Biden calls you up. He says, Andrew, I spent a lot of time on the debate stage with you. I'd like your support for 2024. What do you say? Well, you know, right now I'd say it's 2021. I mean, <laughs> so you're not, re- not ready to endorse uh, Joe Biden for 2024. We don't even know what the landscape looks like. We don't, you know, it's like, who, who the heck knows what's going on? Uh, you know, right now, I think our focus should be on trying to get open primaries uh, and um, independent candidates across the finish line in 2022. Will you be on the ballot in 2024 as a forward party candidate? Again, my focus is solely on 2022. A lot of people, when they hear third party, they like fast forward straight to presidential and like try and draw on past experiences. That's not where my attention is at all. So, Andrew... As I said, I noticed you were just one of the most normal uh, guys that I encountered, uh, you know, men and women that I encountered on the trail. Um, But one of my favorite questions that I ask my interns on their last day of the job in the office is, what was the best day, what was the worst day, and what was the most embarrassing moment? moment? We call it highs, lows, and uh uh-ohs. So for the 2020 election, what was your best day, your worst day, and your most embarrassing moment? Well, the best moment, um, it, it strikes me as just, uh, it, it just reminded me of some of the rallies we had, um, whether it was in New Hampshire or Los Angeles uh, or Iowa or wherever it was, seeing so many people come together that start to believe in you uh, and your vision. In my case, it was centered on universal basic income and the fact that we really can provide more for people. I mean, we're, we put $4 trillion to work in Wall Street. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the CARES Act was enough for $1,000 per American for six months each. Like, we could have done it. Like, we can, we can do it. 
So those were the best days when people came together. And it's funny, Eric, because you and I were on the trail together. I vividly remember being the candidate that no one wanted to talk to. <laughs> you know, like like you and I might get big footed because like Elizabeth Warren or like, uh, you know, someone else walked in the room, uh, you know. And so I vividly remember being that candidate. Um, and then I remember having this energy around me. And I'm just so grateful to everyone who supported me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. So that was the best. The worst day... Uh, the, the thing that comes to mind for me was after the first presidential debate, um, people didn't feel like I got a lot of airtime um, and I, I felt like I'd let people down. And so there was like a real sense of, um, you know, self-consciousness. In the book, and, you said it was about two and a half minutes is what you calculated. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I looked I had to look it up. Um, and over time, I began to realize that, you know, it like maybe there were some other forces at play, but I, but, you know, not knowing anything like not having a basis for comparison. That was a very difficult uh, period for me. Um, and uh, what was the last one was the most embarrassing? Most embarrassing. What was the most Veep-like moment on the trail? Uh, the, the most embarrassing for, for me, uh, you know, there was a period when I was getting a lot of attention for dancing and crowd surfing. And, uh, you know, I think I put whipped cream, uh, like, you know, a supporter just asked me to like, you know, give him whipped cream. <laughs> and I did that became a thing for days. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, as like a, like, you know, again, like a fairly normal person, as you suggest, Eric, you just sort of like, uh, try and, um, respond to the person in front of you. And then sometimes it kind of takes off. Andrew, you also, uh, have, two young boys while you're out on the trail and one of your sons has autism. Can you talk about the challenges that your supporters and the C-SPAN viewers probably did not see as you tried to be a presidential candidate, but also a good father uh, and a good husband? And you and I bonded over this, Eric. Running for president is very, very difficult. And I think that a lot of people get beaten up in ways that really is unfair. Uh, And I guess you and I can relate to this, Eric, because a lot of the time you're traveling for hours or a day uh, to a very poorly attended event. <laughs> you know, like, and, and like you constantly have to be um, can do. Uh, in, in the meantime, though, you know, like I was a dad and had uh, kids at home, one of whom is special needs. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's a, a lot to handle. I mean, we're still human beings. Um, and I don't think people really account for that. I mean, who would spend time away from, their families to try and do something positive in the country like Eric did, or, you know, um, it's either someone who's a really good person like Eric is who wanted to do something very positive for the country. Um, or they're the type of people that just don't like their families and the rest of it, which I'm, I'm happy to say, you know, is not the norm, even on the, pre- like the um, political trail. So please do give people who run for office like a moment and think, okay, you know, like, is this person sincere? Are they really trying? Because I think a lot of people don't take that into account, that we are human beings, we have families, uh, we miss them. And your wife also uh, bravely came forward uh, with her own story uh, of sexual abuse uh, from uh, someone who was her doctor, I think, for uh, your first son. And, you know, it's, it's awful for any sexual abuse victim, you know, to have to come forward, but it's even more magnified and amplified uh, when she's a part of a, a family that's in the public eye. Um, can you just talk about, you know, what decisions were made before, you know, she came forward? And again, just touching on the pressures that you as a candidate and she as a supporter of a candidate would have to think about that others would not. 
Thank you, Eric. I'm so proud of Evelyn uh, and the outpouring of support that she received after she came forward with her story about being sexually assaulted by her physician. Uh, so she was sexually assaulted when she was pregnant with our older son, uh, first her fir our first child. And she did not tell me for years afterwards, kept it to herself. Uh, and then when she did tell me, it was obviously heartbreaking and infuriating and uh, made me feel like a failure as a partner. Um, it, it was a very emotional time for the family. Um, and then, but of course, I was the only one who knew. I mean, you know, our friends and family didn't know. And then when she was deciding whether to share it with the world, I was trying to be as supportive as I could be um, while just supporting her to say, look, whatever you want to do, I am 100% behind you and with you. Uh, if you want to, frankly, do what I think like the normal thing to do would be just to not talk about it, um, I'll support you. And if you do want to talk about it, like, you know, I, I would love uh, to, to I, there was part of me, Eric, I had to say, I was like kind of rooting for her to share her story because I thought it was so important, but I never wanted to say that ever because the last thing you want to do is be, you know, be someone who is somehow pushing um, your partner to do something so personal. And then when she did share the story, uh, I was uh, deluged with supportive messages from friends and family of mine who were like, I'm so sorry, I never knew. And then that really uh, made me very emotional because you, you realize that all of a sudden all these people that know you know that your family has gone through this. Um, but when Evelyn and I were out on the trail in the days to come, she would see so many women who'd come to her with tears in their eyes uh, and it felt cathartic for so many people. And then 40 other women plus came forward about the same doctor and he was uh, arrested on federal charges. So I, I just think my wife's a hero. How is Evelyn doing now? Um, she is, she's great. I mean, she's a rock uh, and a rock star for the family. Like our kids are happy and healthy. Uh, I, I just am indebted to her every single day. Anytime someone thanks me, which happens on occasion, I just say, thank my wife because um, she's the real force behind everything. And so Andrew, you, you've talked about having a son with special needs, a wife who was a sexual assault victim, and you are not someone who's helpless. You're in the public realm. You've run for office. What can you do with these, you know, unique experiences, you know, to make a difference on those issues? I'm going to do everything I can to help. Certainly to me, being special needs is the new normal. I know so many families are going through that. Unfortunately, being a victim of sexual assault is uh, all too commonplace. My wife uh, wrote a book trying to teach kids about sexual assault. Uh, it's a kid's book about sexual assault is the name of it. Um, and so I, I'm so proud of her on that level. For me, Eric, the best thing I can do is try and bring our country together because polarization is tearing us apart. Politics is making people feel like their own uh, countrymen and, and fellow Americans are their enemy. Uh, and I want to try and heal that divide. If I can do that, then we'll make progress on these other problems as well. Uh, Andrew Yang, uh, his new party is forward. It's also the name of his new book, A Big Test to See If It Can Succeed, the party that is, in the upcoming midterm elections. Everyone is welcome. Democrats, independents, Republicans. But Andrew, you've already succeeded. You're a, you're a New York Times bestselling author. So the book is forward, Notes on the Future of Democracy. Uh, and I encourage everyone to read it and to follow Andrew on Twitter and ask him the tough questions as well uh, and have that open dialogue. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, my friend, Eric Swalwell, of course, Future of America. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thanks, man. Great seeing you. C-SPAN has a new podcast about books. 
Each episode delves into news about the nonfiction book publishing industry with publishing experts and insiders. You'll also hear reports on the latest nonfiction bestsellers, trends, and book reviews about books. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.